We welcome those of you in the modern service who are joining us now for the message this morning. It's great for us all to be worshiping together at the same time. We are in the midst of this series called Happy in which we've been talking about how can we be happier in 2022? 2020, 2021 were both really difficult years and so what does it look like to be happy? And so just as a refresher of kind of some of the things that we've been talking about, we've been approaching this from a theological biblical standpoint, what does the Bible teach us about happiness, as well as from a scientific standpoint, what does science teach us about being happy? We've talked about how to be happy in our lives, as well as with our lives. We can be happy living our lives, and we can also be happy with the direction that our lives are headed, where God is leading us in our lives. We've talked about how the Bible says we're not always going to feel happy. There's going to be times that we feel sad, or we feel angry, or, or frustrated, and that's okay. If you're not happy all the time, it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. We've been encouraging everyone to keep a journal, a happiness journal, and once a day to write down on a scale of 0 to 10, how happy are you, with 0 being completely unhappy and 10 being completely happy. Where do you fall today? Uh, and the next day, at the same time, write that number down. If it went up, why did it go up? If it went down, why did it go down? Keep a journal, and we can look back over the course of the series and see what the shifts look like in our lives. So we've been relying on the Bible for the theological side of things and for the scientific part of that. We've been looking for uh, Dr. Lori Santos, who is a Yale University professor who is teaching the most popular class on happiness in the whole world. She's taught almost 4 million people this class through uh, the online community. And you can take this class for free or you can go check out her podcast, The Happiness Lab, and learn lots of really neat things. And we'll continue in this discussion today, theology, Bible, and science about what it means to be happy. So here we are today, lots of exciting things happening in the life of our nation. Uh, one of those today is the big Super Bowl NFL football game. Uh, and I just want to take a quick poll. Who hopes that the Cincinnati Bengals will win today? Can you just raise your hand? All right, Cincinnati, what about the Los Angeles Rams? Anyone? Anyone? A few? Who doesn't care? All right, we got some people in the room who, who don't care. And uh, who is sitting here today that your favorite team did not make the Super Bowl? Yeah, the Panthers are not in the Super Bowl uh, or our other teams. And so, of course, only two out of 30 teams can make it, right? So two team fan bases are happy today, and only one will be happy at the end of the day. And so the rest of us, 31 different fan bases, are a little bit bitter. We'll probably watch the game. We'll watch the commercials, all that kind of stuff. We'll have a good party here later. But for most of us, it's a kind of a downer day because we're kind of rejected, right? Our teams have lost, and they're not going to win the Super Bowl. So that's something to think about. It's also Valentine's Day weekend, right? So hopefully you and your sweetie were able to celebrate this weekend. Valentine's Day is tomorrow. Uh, so a lot of people are excited about that. But you know, with Valentine's Day, it's kind of like the Super Bowl. Either you're really excited about it, or it's the worst day of the world, right? And so, because if you are in love with someone, and your sweetie's alive, and you're able to see them, then, you know, Valentine's is a great day to celebrate. I'm looking at some newlyweds who are in the room right now, and, you know, just it's a great day. But if you are not with someone, you don't have a boyfriend or girlfriend, or your relationship is in a rocky position, your significant other, then Valentine's Day can be really terrible, and you can, you can hate it. I've been on both sides of that fence. It can be a great day or it can be a terrible day. And it can feel like a, a painful rejection, broken-hearted kind of weekend. So this weekend could be a real mixed bag. Well, today we're going to think about 
how are we supposed to be happy when all the bad stuff happens, right? When our hearts have been broken, when we've been rejected, when life's not going our way, can we still find happiness in the midst of rejection? There's romantic rejection, there's rejection at school, there's rejection at work, there's rejection uh, in sports and academics, all kinds of things. When we are rejected, how do we deal with trying to be happy? So I want to introduce you to a, a man today that faced some of the most intense rejection, not once, not twice, but over three times. And you, by the time you hear the end of his story, I think you're going to be heartbroken for this guy. Uh, his name is Tim Colseri. That's him right there, Tim Colseri. So when he was 18 years old, graduated from high school, and he joined the United States Marine Corps and immediately was shipped over to the Vietnam conflict, Vietnam War, uh, where he served for two years. Uh, when he turned 20, the conflict ended, the war ended, and so he was able to leave Vietnam and come back to the United States. And once he got here, he enrolled into college. He went to college for four years. He graduated, and then he became a golf pro for three years. Had a good time playing golf, doing all kinds of stuff, and after that, he just started doing different jobs. He became a flight attendant and flew around the world and, and did things. He's tried his stint at stand-up comedy None of that was the rejection that I was talking about. That's getting ready to come later. On a whim, he decided to take an acting class with one of his friends who was taking an acting class. And Tim loved it. He fell in love with acting. And his teacher said to him, you're just a natural. You're great at this. You enjoy it. You're good at it. You should really pursue acting as a career. And so he began to to do that. He began to try to get parts and all that sort of thing. And he was excited one day when he found out that there was a big blockbuster movie that they were getting ready to make, and it was about the military. Uh, And he thought he could maybe land a role of being a drill sergeant because he was in the Marines. He knows what that's like. He loves to be actor, all that kind of stuff. And so in the day, what he did was he, he scraped up his money, and he rented a camera, and he filmed an audition. And he put that in an envelope. He says, remember, it cost like 10 bucks, and he mailed that away. Uh, and he was waiting on a reply to see if he might have a chance to go read for the part. A few days went by, a few weeks went by, a few months went by, three years go by. He's not heard anything from this. So he's forgotten about that. But that tape made it somewhere. And three years later, out of the blue, Tim gets a call from the president of Warner Brothers Studios. And the president of Warner Brothers Studio says, Tim, I'll tell you what, I have a lot of faith in Stanley Kubrick. Y'all know who Stanley Kubrick is? He's a great director. He makes all these movies. Some of them have won the Academy Award, like 2001 A Space Odyssey. He did Spartacus. He did The Shining. Uh, And so he's getting ready to make a movie called Full Metal Jacket. And so the director or the, the president of the studio says, Stanley I believe firmly in Stanley Kubrick, and Stanley Kubrick believes in Tim Colseri, right? He wants you to come and star in this new movie, right, about a Vietnam and the horrors of Vietnam and wants you to play the lead character who is a drill sergeant, who's a really tough guy, right, full metal jacket, right? So Tim gets off the phone and he opens up his window and he screams out like Scrooge on Christmas morning, Stanley Kubrick believes in me! So he's excited, right? Like this, this could be the potential to be game changer, right? You're, you're, you're going from no one to being in a movie that was nominated for an Academy Award. 
And so he immediately flies over to England where they're filming the movie Full Metal Jacket. And Stanley Kubrick, director, wants Tim to do something unique. He wants him to be by himself, to be isolated, to learn his lines in the hotel room. He doesn't want him to be other actors because he doesn't want them to become friendly with each other because he's supposed to be the tough drill sergeant the other actors are going to be those in his platoon and so he keeps them separate and for a while Tim's okay with that but it goes week after week after week he's rehearsing these lines he's learning all this stuff and he's not seeing anyone no one he's just in his, his room by himself so he gets, he's getting depressed and all this and, and that's going on meanwhile the actors are learning their lines they're interacting with each other or they're on set and all that kind of stuff and the technical advisor for the movie uh, is also a veteran of the United States Marine Corps. And he really wants the part of the lead. And he figures out a way how to get around Stanley Kubrick. And he worms his way in to the point that one day Tim's in his hotel room working on his lines. And the assistant to the director knocks on his door and says, I'm sorry, I've got some news for you. But Stanley Kubrick sent me here to say he's got two starting quarterbacks and he can only have one. And I'm sorry, you're out. You're done. Right? And, he, and, and, and thinking back about this, Tim in an interview said, it's kind of like just think about in your job, if you got elevated to the very height of your job and then lost that, how would you feel? If all of a sudden you were made the CEO one day and the next day it was gone. If you were the president of the university one day and the next day it was gone. Right? If, if you're the captain of the sports team and then you're kicked off the team, like you made it to the top and then you are gone, how would you feel? Right? Just this sense of rejection. And so Tim was absolutely crushed. He'd already put, you know, weeks and weeks into this. And so now he's got to get ready to go home and a few days pass and all of a sudden he gets a phone call. And again, it's the, the assistant to uh, the director and he says, Tim, hang on a second, hang on a second. We've got some bad news, we've got some good news. The guy that's replaced you has been in a car accident. Right? He's going to make it, he's going to be okay, but he's not going to be able to move forward with the movie. And so you're back in. Do you want back in? He's like, well, I'm sorry he got hurt, but yes, you can count me back in, right? So he's back in to be the lead of this movie, Full Metal Jacket. Um, then another couple of days go by, he gets another phone call. I said, Tim, sorry, it's me again. But we're reading the contract and we can't fire the other guy we have to wait for him to heal and so we're just going to wait until he heals so you're out again he's like you've got to be kidding me right? you're up you're down you're up you're down top gone top gone top so he flies back to the US and Stanley Kubrick ends up calling him saying well you know you're not the lead part anymore but there's this part that I have in mind for you and you get to play a gunner on the helicopter and it's going to be this really cool iconic scene so Tim's like well yeah I guess I can do that and he films it and everything, and then the movie's getting ready to come out, and they cut the scene from the movie. This is all real stuff. Like, how is this poor guy feeling? Right? Well, fast forward, they added the scene back in. It's an iconic part of the movie. He's known for it all across the world, and people come up to him all the time. 35-plus years this happened, right? But still, to this day, he's been bitter, Right? He's been bitter because of the yo-yo, up and down. It wasn't the part that he wanted to play, right? This ultimate form of rejection. just want to invite you today to think about what are the times in your life that you've been rejected and how did that feel? Maybe it was romantic. Maybe it was in your business. Maybe it was at school. Maybe you wanted to get on a sports team, but you didn't make the cut. Like In those times in your life when you've been rejected, how... Did that make you feel? And how did you get back to being happy again? We're going to think through the science and the theology of that today. Kind of like poor Tim, right? This guy, he carried this for like 35 years where he still was holding a grudge over that. That just can't be good for somebody. 
Well, there are a couple of UCLA professors, it's a married couple, that have been studying the effects of rejection on the mind and what it does to our brains and what it does to our, our, our well-being. Uh, and the wife has not really experienced a lot of rejection in her own life. Her husband was kidding around saying the most rejection she's got is that our teenage son doesn't hug her enough, right? He still hugs her, just not enough, right? So that's the level of, of rejection she's faced in her life. Uh, but the husband said, you know, I was in a six-year romantic relationship, and then she dumped me without, you know, blind, totally blindsiding me, and so it took me a long time for me to go over that, so I understand rejection. So anyway, they have this interest in rejection and trying to study that, but it's kind of hard to study rejection because you never know when someone's going to be rejected, right? And so how do you, how do you study that with somebody? So they've been trying to do all this, and they found this guy who created a game called Cyberball, and uh, it's a simple game where three people are at a computer. You don't see the other person. They're in another room or they're somewhere else in the world. Player one throws player two the ball. Player two throws player three the ball. Then player three throws it back to number one, right? It's just uh, some easy little game, but it's a setup, right? Two of the players are going to isolate and reject uh, the other player. They're going to stop throwing the ball to player one. So player two and three are just throwing the ball back and forth, back and forth. Now that's not the same level of rejection as having your heart ripped out and jumped up and down on or the same rejection level of Tim. But the people who play in this game, they get really mad or they get really upset or they get really hurt. Like all of a sudden, why are these strangers rejecting me, right? Because we're wired to be socially together. And so even something as minute as this has scientific effect. And so these UCLA professors begin to study people's brains that have been rejected like this. And they found out something that absolutely blew them away. That when we are rejected by someone, even in something as simple as cyberball, our brains act as if they do when we have physical pain, right? So it, when, when somebody hurts you physically, your brain does something. When someone rejects you, your brain does the very same thing. Other emotions don't do that. Even fear, other things. It changes the composition of our brain, right? So when we say that someone broke our heart or someone ripped out our emotions or, or what, you know, then we're, we're not exaggerating. It has an effect, a physical effect on our brain, just as if we are dealing with physical pain. And so they said that we really need to think about how we help each other through rejection, Right? When someone else gets physically hurt, we're, we're on it. Right? Can I get you a Band-Aid? Uh, do I need to call an ambulance? Can I get you an aspirin? Can I get you a doctor? Like, you know, we're on it. But someone gets rejected with their emotions. Like, you know, we're sorry about that, but don't let it interfere with your work. Right? Don't let it interfere with your school. Don't let it interfere with your life. Right? Just shake it off. But these UCLA professors are saying we have to treat rejection just as much as we treat physical pain because it does the very same thing to our brains because we are such social creatures that that's how we are wired that we have to come up with some kind of emotional first aid that has to be applied immediately otherwise we could have some long-term effects that are not going to be positive right and so that's fascinating right that our brains show like a physical pain when we are rejected by other people so there's a, a psychologist named Guy Winch who studies this. Like, how can we give ourselves emotional first aid from a physical, scientific kind of standpoint? And this guy understands rejection. When he graduated college, he wanted to get his Ph.D. in psychology, and he applied to 10 different schools, 
all 10 of them rejected him. <laughs> so he knows a little bit about rejection. He said the easiest school to get in, like the worst school on the list, they didn't even write him back to tell him you're not welcome here. Right? They just totally ghosted him. So he understands rejection, but he had a mature interpretation of it. He says, these schools didn't reject me. They rejected my application. And so I began to spend more time working on my application, and eventually I got into some good schools. He had a great approach to that. And so he's like, I want to help other people deal with their emotional rejection to get past that. Because he says, usually our initial reactions are not the most healthy. When we get rejected, usually we want to lash back out at someone, be mean, say something, become physically aggressive like when we get rejected we get defensive and we want to lash back at them I mean, think about it like even like when you stub your toe on like the dresser right what, what's your first reaction you want to kick the dresser and that's just going to hurt you again right they did an experiment with these power these cyberball characters you know the ones that got rejected and they they said to them right we're going to do a taste test and we're going to ask people to drink hot sauce. And these people don't like hot sauce, but you get to decide how much hot sauce that they get to drink. We're going to put it in little shot glasses, right? And so the people on Cyberball who got rejected, right, who they wouldn't throw the ball to, they said give them four times as much hot sauce as someone who wasn't rejected. Right? Line them up, right? Let's light those people up, right? Rejection hurts. And when we're rejected, we reach out to hurt other people. Sometimes it's aggressive, sometimes it's passive-aggressive, sometimes it's physical, sometimes it's just a neglect to help someone, sometimes we just blast somebody, right? We've got to do a better job of reacting to rejection by hurting other people. Other ways that we kind of deal with rejection, usually alcohol, right? We'll get something to drink and make it feel better, but then we have hangovers and that doesn't help. Or we turn to sugar, right? We just stuff our faces, we try to comfort ourselves and gain a few pounds. So maybe there's some other ways that we can deal with the pain of a broken heart or the pain of rejection. And so let's look at a few of those from a scientific standpoint as well as a biblical and a theological. Ways that we can apply emotional first aid to ourselves and to other people who are facing rejection, which again affects the brain just like it would physical pain. So let's see some ideas here, right? One is give yourself a break. When you get rejected in a romantic relationship or work or academically or socially or or uh, on the sports in the sports world usually the first thing that we do is we we down downgrade ourselves right we do a lot of negative talk you're so stupid right how could you do that right there of course she rejected you you're an idiot right right we do this negative self-talk immediately right we are just we go to that so the scientists say give yourself a break right? it's okay it's gonna happen Right? Not everyone's going to want you to be a part of something, right? Just give yourself a break. Now, from a biblical standpoint, the Bible says this as well. Where Jesus says this, he says to love your neighbor as yourself. Remember, the, somebody asked him, Jesus, there's 613 commands. Which one's the most important? He said, love God. When the second most important is love your neighbor as yourself. The, the emphasis is helping your neighbor. But what's implied here is that you have a healthy love for yourself. I know a lot of people who are not healthy, and I wouldn't want them to love me as they love themselves. You know what I'm talking about? Right? So God says we have to love ourselves in a healthy way first before we can love other people, right? Uh, or at the same time anyway. It assumes, it assumes we have a healthy love for ourselves because God loves us. God made us in God's image. There's, there's a lot in us to love, right? So give yourself a break when you get rejected, right? 
Second thing that we can do is connect with people who love you, right? Someone's rejected you. For some reason, there are a lot of other people who don't reject you, who love you, who are on your side, right? Your family, your friends, your colleagues, right? And so don't lick your wounds in isolation. It's just going to make the pain worse, right? Connect with the people who love you, who don't reject you, who want you to be a part of their lives, right? That's what the science says. The Bible also says this in many places. I just pulled a couple of these out. One from 1 Thessalonians. This is the Apostle Paul writing. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you were doing. Right? It's our role as Christians to build each other up at church, at home, in the workplace. Right? Even people that we don't like, we're called to encourage and to build each other up. So connect with the people that love you. Right? And then another passage of Scripture uh, from the book of Psalms. This is how we can connect with God. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Even if we go through ultimate rejection, right? Like the rejection of a parent. Like that is painful stuff. Even though my mother and my father reject me, God will receive me. Take comfort in the relationship knowing that the God of the universe loves you. and Created you in his image and wants you to live a life that is full, right? Connect with those who love you in person, and also with God. And another thing uh, that the scientists say that we can do is remember your value, right? Give yourself a break, but also remember your value, that in the midst of rejection, you still have a great deal of value. And that guy, Guy Winch, says to do an exercise like this. So let's imagine you've been rejected in a romantic relationship, right? He encourages you to remember your value and think about, okay, if, if me, Kyle, gets rejected by a woman that I wanted to be my girlfriend, then to make a list of all the reasons that I would, that make me a good boyfriend, right? So if not for her, for the next person, right? So make a list of all the things that you have in your life that will make you good in a romantic relationship and pick one a day and write a couple paragraphs about it, right? I would be a good boyfriend because I'm a patient listener, and it's good to be listening in a relationship, right? You, you, you do that, you do one a day for a couple of weeks or a month, and, and you're going to help get through that rejection, right? They rejected me, but someone's going to get a prize down the, down the road, right? If you didn't get the promotion at work, right? make a list. Like, why would I be great to get a promotion, right? I'm great. I'd be great at this job because I'm good at strategic planning, right? And, and, and write about that. I'd be great at this job because I answer email in a timely manner, and most people in my office do not do that, right? Make those lists, right? Look, remember your value. You bring a lot to the table, and here's, here's some biblical advice with that. For God, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You're wonderfully made by God, your works are wonderful, God. I know that full well. You have value because God made you. You are a child of God. You are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. You have value and never forget what that value is. Right? So science and the Bible agree on ways that we can deal with the pain of a broken heart, with the pain of rejection. Now, I want to add one more that maybe science hasn't talked about yet, but the Bible clearly talks about it. And this is going to come from Jesus directly himself. All right, let's look at this in Luke's gospel. Jesus says this, and this sounds so countercultural. This doesn't seem to make sense, but let's think about it from Jesus' view. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you, 
and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Right? He's talking about himself. When people reject you, right, because of me, it's okay. Right? And let's keep going with that. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. So Jesus says, when people reject you because you were a follower of me, then be grateful. Right? Think about that. I think about my, my sons who are at school and they're going to face peer pressure, right, to bully other kids or to try drugs or to cheat on their test, right? And if they say, you know, I can't do that sort of thing because I follow Jesus, then some of their friends are going to make fun of them and they're going to suffer. They're going to be rejected, but that's the kind of rejection that we want, right? We won't want them to be bullies. We don't want them to be hooked to drugs, right? And so when you get rejected for Jesus, that is a good thing. Right? And, and that's a positive thing. And, and so in some ways, rejection can be a form of protection. Right? Don't want my kids dealing with drugs. Don't want them being bullies. Right? God wants to protect them from that. And we follow God, then, then God protects us. Right? From, sometimes rejection brings protection. Another way that, that's not so much biblical but real life, like sometimes rejection is a good thing that happened to us. If all the girls that I dated in my life, if, if, if any of those that rejected me had said, yes, I might not ever have met the love of my life, Laura, right? And my two sons would not exist, right? So even in rejection, good things can f- come from that. Sometimes rejection is protecting us from the better things that God has for us in life. Isn't that amazing? It doesn't feel like it in the moment, but God might have something better for us in the long run. Right? Now getting back to Tim, right, the guy who was in the movie, he was in it, he wasn't, he was in it, he wasn't, he was in the scene that was cut out, he's finally made it back in there, right? He's been bitter for this for 35 years. I heard an interview, he talked to Dr. Santos from Yale University, and, and he said, I'm just now, in my 70s, able to finally be over this. He's like, for 35 years, people come up to me and say, we loved you in Full Metal Jacket, right? You're in that helicopter scene, it's an awesome scene, man, that must have been amazing. He's like, yeah, it was okay, but I was supposed to be the drill sergeant! I was supposed to be the drill sergeant, just bitter about it, right? Went to the premiere with all, all those stars and people from Hollywood are there. And hey, you were great. Yeah, it was great, but I should have been the drill sergeant, right? So for 35 years, he's been carrying that around when he could have just said, yeah, it was great. I'm glad to be in an iconic movie. It was super fun and exciting, right? right? Of course, he's going to be upset about it, but not for 35 years. Brothers and sisters, if you're bitter over some rejection, it's okay to have a heart broken and to deal with that, but don't let it ruin your life for 35 years. It's just not worth it. And he says today, he's like, I should have let it go a long time ago. That's not how Jesus wants us to live our lives, to hold on to something for 35 years. Right? Yeah, rejection hurts. It, it's harmful, but, but move on from that. So what? What's the point today? What's the takeaway? What? What can we learn from the Bible and what can we learn from science? I think it's this. Sometimes rejection is God's protection, right? When we stand up and do the right thing for God and other people ridicule or mock us, right? We're doing the right thing and Jesus is trying to protect us from doing the wrong thing, right? Sometimes rejection is God's protection. But sometimes rejection is just rejection. In fact, most of the time it's probably just, it's just life, right? People are going to reject us. It's just part of life. Sometimes rejection is just rejection. And can you finish that slide out, Melissa, for us? Right? Sometimes rejection is just rejection that requires connection. We get rejected, but we got to plug in. We got to plug into God. We got to plug into the people that love us. 
right? We, we can't let rejection just be the end all of our lives, right? So I encourage you to think about an action step or two here um, as we think about this. One, take the pain of rejection seriously. Remember that rejection does the same thing to your brain as physical pain does, right? So take it seriously and show some empathy to people in your lives who've been rejected. Now certainly cyberball, not getting thrown a ball is not the same level as getting your heart broken by your fiance, right? But show some empathy to people who have been rejected. And then secondly, react to it quickly. Don't let it fester, right? If you cut your finger, you're not gonna sit there and let it bleed for a couple of days, right? You're gonna treat it, right? If you see someone in your life who gets hurt, you're gonna call the doctor. You're gonna get them to the ambulance, right? React to it quickly or it's gonna fester and it's gonna cause 35 years of pain like this guy Tim that we talked about, right? And again, give yourself a break, connect with people who love you and remember your value. One more thing from Scripture. This is going to come for us uh, from Peter, 1 Peter 2, 4. And it says this. As you come to Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. Melissa, let's leave that up there. Jesus was rejected. The Son of God. God himself was rejected. He came to help people. He came to save us from ourselves. And how did he get rewarded? He was killed, right? Of course, he came back to life, but he was rejected, right? So when we think that no one in the world understands what we're going through, the pain that we're dealing with, that just no one can can be there for us, the God that we serve understands. Jesus knows what it's like to be rejected by enemies, by those closest to him, right? He had one of the 12 who sold him out. If anyone understands what you're going through, it's Jesus, Right? And so if you're looking to connect with the people that you love, start with the God that created you and loved you and died for you and also understands the rejection, right? The world rejected him, but God saw him as precious, right, and chosen. The world rejects you, but Jesus sees you as chosen and precious. You're chosen by God to be a son of God or a daughter of God. You are precious. You are created in God's image. The world will reject you, and it will hurt, But Jesus chooses you and has great plans for you and will bring joy and happiness into your life. Sometimes rejection is God's protection. Sometimes rejection is just rejection that needs connection. Take care of yourselves. Give yourself a break. Connect with those who love you. Remember your value. And know that the God of the universe who was rejected is there for you and that to Jesus you are chosen And you are precious in the holy name of Christ. Amen.